Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for October 6, 2023. Beaver's employment is not all good news. September's labor report showed an increase of 336,000 new jobs, which was double the consensus forecast. The gains were broadly based. This labor market looks too hot for financial markets liking. However, wage growth continues to moderate which hints at a silver lining for the overall economy. This is Brian Kirk, and joining us today to talk about today's labor market report, we have Kathy Bashansik, Nationwide's Chief Economist, and Oren Klatchkin, Financial Market Economist. Kathy, let's start with you today. You saw the report, so what are the, some of the key takeaways that you saw, including what might impact the outlook for Fed monetary policy and impact the financial markets? Well, thank you, Brian. Yeah, it certainly was a very steamy jobs report, as you indicated, well above expectations and also the 12-month average, uh, which was um, 267,000. And it's really the largest monthly gain we've seen since earlier this year in, in January. What this indicates is actually that the the job market is quite resilient. And that, that's like on the good side of things. You know, we don't want to discount the fact that our labor market is very resilient and the economy is really resilient in the face of all these headwinds. Um, however, there comes a point where it's too hot, too good for its own good. And that's what we're seeing in terms of the reaction in the financial markets and then how that impacts uh, Fed reserve officials thinking in terms of, you know, where does monetary policy go from here? So what we have seen even prior to this morning's report is that long-term bond yields were really soaring and approaching, you know, going close to to 5%. If you look at the 10-year note, not quite there, but close to 5%. That, of course, also pushes mortgage rates much higher. Rates are somewhere between 75 and 8%, so well above that 7% threshold, which we thought was quite high uh, before. And then the the higher yields unnerves equity investors who then are looking at higher discount factor, interest rate discount factor, but also the fact that a lot of corporations, and and this affects more the small to medium-sized companies that had um, locked into low interest rates or borrowing rates for, for a long period of time, now some of that debt is coming due and maturing in 2024. And if interest rates are materially higher, and especially what we're seeing now, if it's higher for longer, which is currently the the new um, thinking here, instead of lower for longer, now it's higher for longer, then companies are gonna face higher refinancing rates and that pushes up the cost of their, their debt service. Um, all else equal, that impacts negatively their their profit margin. So uh, ironically, the fact that things are very good could end up forcing, you know, one, the Federal Reserve to to raise rates another time this year, um, could support the upward move in in bond yields we've seen and and also just reinforce that costs for for companies are, are going up. And unless they're able to pass it on with higher price increases, which in the period of disinflation that we're experiencing now, that's less likely. So it's probably a profit margin crimper. And that's why the equity market's really having a hard time right now, even though 
third quarter growth looks to be, you know, anywhere between four and five percent. And, and we got this really red hot uh, labor market. As you indicated, though, there's a little bit of a silver lining in that wage growth continues to moderate. Um, it was up um, just two tenths of a percentage point for the second month in a row. That allowed the year and year rate to trend lower to 4.2 percent. That's the slowest pace since March of 2020, if you exclude some of the pandemic-related gyrations that we saw would skew the data. That said, 4.2 is still meaningfully above a 3.5% rate that would be consistent with a 2% inflation rate, which is what the Fed is is targeting. Also, when you take into consideration that even though the, the wage growth moderate, overall aggregate income that's created in the month of September, because there's just so many more jobs added, is pretty powerful. And, and that gives us some strong momentum as we exit the third quarter into the fourth quarter. We don't think economic growth is going to be nearly as strong as, as the third quarter, but it still gives us a a firmer starting point than than we had expected. So in summary, you're seeing still strong employment gains, very low level of unemployment uh, claims, initial jobless claims, and job openings are are still quite high. So it leaves the possibility the Fed has to do more rate hikes, and and it certainly uh, really underscores the fact that they're going to be in no hurry to, to cut rates. And that is, again, causing some uh, pains in the bond market. And and also, you know, that filters through to, to the equity market as well. Well, thank you, Kathy. And we're going to turn now to the newest member of our team, Oren Klatchkin. Oren, it's going to be great to have you join us here on the podcast going forward. Thanks a lot for joining us today. You know, earlier in the intro, we talked about how today's labor market was almost double the consensus forecast. So in, in your thoughts, why was the labor market report so much higher than expectations. And how does this affect income and spending in the near term? Yeah, well, thanks for having me here today. I'm very happy to talk about the latest developments in the labor market. You know, I mean, for me, really, it comes down to a story. It's really a story that's been the case since the recovery from the pandemic, which is that demand has been really, really strong. Consumer spending really has led on that front, you know, it started right after the pandemic, or I should say during the pandemic, really, where people went out and they bought stuff, essentially, right? We all bought sporting goods. We all bought home goods. We all tried to buy cars as much as we could, given that there were issues on that front. And we also wanted homes, right? We all moved, well, not all of us, but many of us um, moved out of our city, uh, you know, um, apartments and moved two houses and we and there was a demand for homes and that in turn led to stronger construction activity some of that strength then fed through essentially into services where when the economy you know reopened we all wanted to get back and do the things that we used to do before the pandemic started so we all went out and went to restaurants we all traveled we went to theme parks so on and so forth and that really has led the way on the employment front. Um, and that said also, you know, we we have seen strong hiring in other parts of the economy too that have really continued themes that we saw before the pandemic, but were also amplified by the pandemic as well. So we saw stronger employment in the tech sectors, 
you know, as there was a the shift to, you know, work from home and more activity on the tech front. And we also saw um, stronger hiring in professional and business services. The other component of this, I think it's important to keep in mind, is that there has been essentially a reluctance among businesses to let go of uh, workers, right? So despite fears of recession being just around the corner, businesses so far have not really been wanting to let go of workers because they see that um, demand is still very, very strong. And so, you know, there there is essentially a reluctance among them to let go of people until they're absolutely certain that they see the type of economic environment where they have to s- essentially say, hey, you know, we, we, we need to make cuts on hiring in order to adjust to the new economic environment that we are in right now. In terms of how it affects income and spending, basically the fact that jobs continue to rise and also wages continue to rise means that incomes in turn are expanding and incomes are the main engine of consumer spending. And so as long as incomes continue to rise, we should be ready for further gains in consumer spending moving forward. Now, that you know m- might change here in the not too distant future as the impact of the higher rate environment comes in to affect the labor market. But for now, in the near term, as long as incomes continue to increase, we should be ready for consumers to be ready and able continue to go out and uh, send. Yeah, or- Orrin made some really good points here. Um, the, you know, the fact first, just starting with companies sort of hoarding or holding on to the workers, you know, when we look at the monthly payroll numbers, it's really a churn, right? It's, we get a net number that we look at, 336,000 was the net gain of employment in, in September, but it really is gross hiring minus, you know, gross losses of, of employment. And if we're not seeing companies shed workers as much. It doesn't really take a lot on on the headline number, you know, outright gross hiring to see the net number higher. So that may indeed be, a, you know, a, a key part of this, and and that is supported by the fact that jobless claims are incredibly low, uh, still trending around two hundred thousand or so. They had picked up for a few months, but now we're, we're back low again. I think it is also reflective, though, of the fact that, as as Oren mentioned, it, it all feeds onto each other. You know, the more uh, labor demand we have, the more jobs created, the more income, the more the consumer can spend, and therefore, companies' top line revenue growth looks looks good because people are spending. Where that could change is if we start to see the consumers, you know, face a, some headwinds or, or turbulence. So. Even though the income stream, the tailwind still looks good for now, those are coincident indicators. And what we're also seeing is student loan payments are coming back online. So that's going to be a bit of a drag. We, we, we estimate a moderate drag, three-tenths of a percent of GDP. So it's not going to send us into recession, but it's a headwind. And probably do get a government shutdown you know, later in, in the quarter, you know, a little bit over a month from now. That's a, another drag. And the fact that consumers have really turbocharged their spending because they drew down over $2 trillion worth of pandemic savings, that has largely been spent down, not entirely, but largely spent down. So there are reasons to think um, that, that things can change a bit. 
for the fourth quarter, we do look for slower growth. I mean, third quarter was just so exuberant and, and unsustainably strong. But even if it comes in, you know, around 2% or higher, that's still too high for the Fed. Um, the Fed really wants to see growth that's slower than their long-run potential growth rate, which is one eight. So we really need to see several quarters. They would feel more comfortable if you start several quarters below, let's say, 2%, essentially, or below 1.8. We'll see if they're able to navigate that. Now, going back to, as I said earlier, the financial markets are seeing the incoming data as being too good. So it's it's kind of before they were embracing Goldilocks, now we've gone to a situation where the porridge is too hot and this the, that's driving interest rates up. And it also means that overall financial conditions are tightening. You see a stronger dollar, you see volatility in the equity market, equity prices off a little bit. That does some of the work for the Fed. Maybe it's not a done deal that they will definitely raise rates, but altogether, this looks like more of a, a, a drag on the economy when you see these tighter financial conditions. And while we're still embracing the view that we have a mild recession starting somewhere in, in the first half of 2024, ironically, this this data, because it's so strong uh, in a labor market, actually raises the odds of hard landing because the Fed and the markets have to tighten even more so to, to slow things down. Um, so we'll be watching closely the, the incoming data and, and would be remiss that to not mention the inflation data, of course, that they'll be coming out as well um, towards the, the middle of the month. That's going to loom really large in trying to determine, you know, how much more tightening um, the Fed has to do and how, for how long do they have to keep rates this high. Thank you, Kathy. Appreciate that. And again, welcome or into the team. Appreciate your perspective as well. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up there, but let's look ahead to the next podcast. You know, the term soft landing has appeared more and more in economic commentary. So what exactly is a soft landing and how is it different than a recession? And what are the odds of us seeing a soft landing in the months or the year ahead? We're going to take a closer look at the soft landing in our next podcast in the two-part series. Make sure you click subscribe so you can be notified as soon as that podcast is available. Until next time. For Nationwide Market Insights, this is Brian Kirk. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition, or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide N and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2023, Nationwide.